Amen. Praise God. I got so much this morning. Good stuff. Praise God. And I just I was praying this morning. You know, Holy Spirit, help me to bring forth the word. Amen. To speak forth what you want me to say and to bring it forth in a way. Amen. That the people can receive it. Because um, you understand, just by way of introduction, I guess I'll say, you know, we are in the kingdom of God. And as we begin to get this revelation, realize that it is a government. It is not a religion. Jesus did not come to establish a religion, but a government that He would rule in from the hearts of men. And so, and so, so lots of people might think, well, this seems really weird, you know, that we're talking about, oh, it's the kingdom of God, that it's a government. You know, we, well, where is it? You know, if we can't see it. You understand this. It's not this hard really to understand. Do we believe that there is a government of the United States of America? Yes, we do. What makes a government? Well, the government is there's a constitution. There's a, there's a body that, in, in our case, in Western culture, it's a body of elected lawmakers. But you understand there's lawmakers. Um, there are, uh, there's, there's the executive branch. There's three branches of government. The executive branch, you know, the judicial branch, and the legislative branch. The legislative branch makes the laws. The judicial enforces the laws. The executive executes, it executes the laws of the land. So they're made, judged, they're made, judged, and executed by these three branches of government. But you understand this, that really, you understand that, that the United States government is a concept. It's an idea. Amen? Do you, do you see that? But, ju- but what makes it seem real to us is that we can, go see, we can go see a building that is the Capitol. We can go see a building that's Congress. We can go see a building that's the Supreme Court. But you, but you understand that our government is an idea. It was an idea that was made by men. Amen? And contrary to what anybody wants to say, it was, it was an idea that was brought up by men of God. Amen? The idea you know, of, of the three branches of government was actually inspired by Scripture where it says the Lord God our King, the Lord God our Lawgiver, the Lord God our Judge. That's the judicial, legislative, and executive branches of the government and they inspired the United States government. But you understand all this stuff is, is a lot of people say, well, I can see the government of the United States, but you know this whole thing of trying to equate the kingdom of heaven with a government pastor, I just don't see that. No, no, no. You, when you, you realize when you see the buildings and you see the implements, of, the representations of the, of the American government, you're not seeing that that's not the government. That's things that have manifested as a result of the idea of the government of the United States of America. And so what are you talking about? What I'm trying to get you to realize is, is this whole thing of realizing that there is a government of God, there's a government of heaven, and this is the thing. We realize we can go to Washington, D.C., and we can see the Capitol, we can see the, the White House, we can see the different uh, seats of power in our government but you understand there's a thing called the unseen principle. Paul said, you know, said, we don't look at the things that are seen because the things that are seen are temporary. Right. Amen? If this earth goes on long enough, you know, this is the thing. You realize you can go to, to Athens, Greece, and you can see ruins that are the remains and the remnants of a great government that was there, but it's passed away. Amen. It was a seen thing. It passed away. You can go to Rome, and Italy's there, but you can see remnants and ruins of buildings that were representations and manifestations of the Roman government, but, and those were seen, but guess what? It was temporal and it's passed away and all it is is ruins now. But we don't look at the things that are seen, we look at the things that are unseen, and so look, going back to the original intent, realizing that God, that the, if you will, the capital, 
Because I'm going to put this in terms that we can relate to. The capital of the kingdom or government of heaven is in the unseen realm. And just because we can't see it does not make it less real. Huh? We read, there's lots of things you can't see, you can't see, um, you can't see biological processes going on in your body at a cellular level. Now they might be able to take you into a laboratory and put you in certain machines and look and observe it, but to the naked eye, it's not visible. I've said this before and it bears repeating. You realize that the human eye, there, the, the, if you look at the bandwidth of light, you know, just say the, this is the band, different bandwidths of light from infrared to ultraviolet. Amen. And right in the middle is a little tiny sliver that's called visible light. And that is the only uh, area, that's the only light in that whole bandwidth of light that the human eye can see. And I've said this before, and this is really interesting because I had a, a professor of mine in a secular college tell us this. He said, so you realize that there could be beings in the room you could come in contact your day. You could come in contact. You could be in the vicinity of beings that reflect a different color of light that your naked eye cannot perceive, and you don't see them. That doesn't mean they're not there. It's there. Remember the story it was Elisha when the king had sent out his army to, against Elisha, and his servant was just in full freak-out mode, just having a meltdown because he's a holy cow, the king has sent the army out against us. And what, what did Elisha pray? He said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And you know what? Those angels just didn't magically appear. They were there. They were there in the unseen, but they were in the unseen, but they were still real. He just couldn't see him. And so when he prayed, God allowed the servant, he opened his eyes. And I just believe you that miraculously the Lord allowed his human eyes to see and comprehend bandwidths of light that normally couldn't and saw the angels there. So what are we talking about? We're talking about just because we can't observe it with our natural eye doesn't mean that it's not there. So when we're thinking about the kingdom of heaven, the government of God, amen, we need to realize it is real. It has a capital. The capital is in heaven. Amen. It is in the domain of God. And we need to understand that God's original and purpose was to create the earth. Amen. And to place man on the earth for man to have dominion and rule. And really earth was going to be a colony of heaven because you understand God never really intended. God did not create Adam to die so he could graduate him to heaven. Death came into the world through sin. God's original intention was for man to rule and reign and have dominion on the earth and for earth to be... For thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy government come. Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Okay? And so God, with this understanding, realizing there is a government, it's in place. Can we see the manifestations of it? Amen? Do we see... Let's put it this way. Can we see embassies built all over in every city of the world almost? What do you mean? Well, if we could just look at a church house, we could look at a building that a church meets in as an embassy. Amen? Where the officials, where the representatives of the kingdom assemble and meet. Amen? So we can see manifestations. So it's not a foreign, it's not a foreign concept to us. It's just tweaking the way we've seen the things of God for a long time. And understand this, that so just as in every government, and in every kingdom, there are, there are heads of state. Now, we live in a society where we elect them, but you understand, and make no mistake about it, and this is hard for us to wrap our Western thinking around, the most efficient 
and most incorruptible form of government is a kingdom ruled by a righteous king. Ruled by a king who has the best interests of his subjects in mind. Why? Because if you have a righteous king, his decrees are law. He doesn't, you understand this? He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to get up. Nobody's going to filibuster the king. Nobody's going to get up and there's not going to have to be a compromise. How many of you know we hear compromises in government all the time? This party compromised with this party. Or there was a faction within this party that compromised. Do you know what a compromise is? This is, this is, this, this is the Brian Adkins interpretation of a compromise. A compromise is an agreement where neither party's happy. Isn't that right? Because neither one of them got it exactly the way they wanted to, but they were certain things they were willing to give up. They're not fully happy. They're more happy than what they could have been if they got nothing. But neither party's completely satisfied, right? How many of you know none of that goes on in a kingdom? The king, where the word of the king is, there's power. And so what the king says, and so if you have an, a, a just and an honorable and a, an incorruptible king in the kingdom, and he administers that, that's the most effective, least susceptible to corruption. Why? We live in the most incorruptible government there is because our God, amen, He's not tempted with sin. Amen? God's not a man that He should lie. Huh? Amen. If Cindy remembered this from the teaching we did a couple weeks ago, or the son of man that he should repent. And remember that word repent means change your mind. God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should have to change his mind. Why? Because he's already thinking straight. How many of you all know us sons of men, are, we're, the, we're the ones that we need to change the way we think, right? Amen. So you understand this, this morning, you know, and so kingdoms have an economy, Right? Every kingdom, we're talking about kingdom. Kingdoms have, they have uh, heads of state. They have economies. They have, uh, you know, social service plans for their citizens. Right? Are we hearing about that? Are we hearing more about that? Also, you know, health care. We're talking about this. We're talking about a welfare. You know what? Every kingdom, every government has that. And God's, and God's government has that. And we have, you know, there is a financial system within the kingdom of heaven. And, you, and if you want to know the most important resource in the kingdom of heaven are the people. That is the most important... You understand, every kingdom has to have an economy. It has to have a flow of finances. And that comes from its resources. How many of y'all... If we think about this, how many of y'all remember... Maybe you've seen some movie that it it was placed in a medieval setting. And and this is usually how it goes because it plays on our Western Western and, and democratic... Uh, prejudices against kingdom rulership is the story you know, usually this way. There's a poor, hungry, starving peasant that he's starving. His kids are hungry, and he goes out into the forest and kills a deer. And then the the Shire Reef, that's where we get the word sheriff from in in, in our English vernacular. The Shire Reef, sheriff, Shire Reef. You know, Shire was like a town or a village. And the reef of the shire was the person who had the authority to enforce the laws, the king's laws, and to protect the king's property. That's where we get the word sheriff from, shire reef. But the little peasant would go out into the forest and he'd shoot a deer or something like that or he'd shoot a couple of you know, pheasants or something like that. And then guess what? He'd get caught red-handed by the shire reef. And what would they say? What would the accusation be? What are you doing with the king's deer? What are you doing with the king? If you kill rabbit, what are you doing with the king's rabbit? Why? Because the forest and everything that was in it belonged to the king. 
It was the king, and so and so and like I said, our Western priest, our our Western prejudice against that is look at that mean old king. That guy's starving, and all he wants is a rabbit, and that wasn't hurting that king. None. But you understand that the precept was everything, that everything in the kingdom belonged to the king, and it was his to do with what he wanted and to give to whom he wanted to give it. Now understand this: we serve a good king. Hmm. He, matter of fact, king King God is daddy. And this is the thing. You know, how many of you if, you, if you want a fish and you ask your father, will he give you a serpent? Now, how many of you, if you need an egg and you ask him, what's your point, Pastor? My point is, is that we served a good king. We ain't serving the king that's going to send the Sharif out to bust your chops because you got a deer out of his force. Matter of fact, he's daddy, king. You're the prince of God. You're Israel, the prince of God. And if you have need of it, you just ask him. Huh? What did the father tell in the story of the two sons? The father, you know, when the other son comes in, Oh, Daddy, I've been here serving you all this time, and you never even, you know, you killed a fatted calf for this your son. Wouldn't even call him his brother. This your son, you've killed the fatted calf for him, and you never even give me a kid. You never even give me a baby. It's just crying. And, and he's, what did his father tell him? He said, Son, you've been here with me all along, and all that I have is yours. All you had to do was ask for it. Oh yeah, because you understand this: the one son couldn't tap into that to Daddy King's that rich Daddy's resources because he was in disobedience and and not being submitted to Daddy's will, and he was living in the hog pen. But the other boy was submitted to Daddy's will, but didn't ask him for it. You have not, cause you ask not, right? Amen. And so God is the King; He owns it. And you understand this: is that. King, when we talk about, you know, the Bible talks about over in, in Peter, he said, in different places, the Bible says, He's the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. And we've talked about that God is King. We are in a kingdom. He is the King. And you understand that the word King, it speaks to His, King is related to the, the dominion. And I'm going to try to explain this to you. And if, I know you're smart enough to get it. I just need to be articulated well enough is that there's a difference between dominion and domain. Dominion is to rule and have authority over. And, 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 and we understand to have dominion over something. A domain is the area in which dominion is exercised. Okay, do we got that? And so you understand when we're talking about God as king, it's speaking to His dominion, His authority. But when we use the title Lord... We're talking about what he has dominion over, what he has ownership of, right? And so we're, we're looking at God as, as Lord. And so you understand, back to the example of the forest, all the resources of the forest were the kings. If there were deer in the forest, those deer were the kings. If there was, if there was a mountain in the, realm, in the kingdom's realm that had gold in it and resources in it, that was the king's. And nobody could just go and get it. You understand, we have examples of this in Scripture where when Nehemiah went to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the king gave him papers with his seal on it, giving him authority that when he got there, that he had access to the forests to, so that he could cut timber, he could quarry stone, whatever he needed to carry out his assignment. Well, he had to get permission because all of it was the Lord, the king who was, was Lord. And so you understand this, you can be a Lord without being a king. Okay? The king can make you a Lord over something. The king, because understand this, the king owns it all and he can give it to who he wants to. So he can say, I'm going to make you Lord over this territory. 
There are examples that we've seen examples of this historically where someone was not a king. What was it? Um, um, Rhode Island. The, what's it? The entire state of Rhode Island now was given to a man named Lord Baltimore. It was it was a royal grant given to him in our, in our country. The whole what was the whole state that is now the current state of Rhode Island. There was a man whose last name was Baltimore, and the King of England said, "I make you Lord over this area." And, it, and in other words, it's yours now. You're my vassal, and you're submitted to the king. The Lord was submitted to the king, but he was given lordship over that and ownership of it to do as he pleased, right? But he wasn't a king, okay? I'm, I'm getting someplace somewhere. But the king's automatically a lord because you can't be a king without a kingdom and without a place at your authority. So a king is automatically a lord, but a lord's not necessarily a king. Okay, and so you understand this is that, but that the Lord refers to the ownership of property. Amen. Turn with me if you would to, to Romans chapter ten. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but it bears repetition because you know there's so much that you, you we can get out of the Word. Romans chapter ten verses nine, and if we're talking about coming into the kingdom. How many know when we're born again, we're coming into the kingdom? We've been brought out of the, the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear Son. <clears throat> and so this is a real familiar passage of Scripture. Romans 10. And I'm going to start with verse 8. It says, But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart, that is the Word of faith which we preach. That, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, we're going to stop there just a minute and we're going to look at this again. The Bible says that if you shall confess, some of you have already heard this before, but I'm telling you, it's one of those things like love and faith. We're going to drive it in. We're going to know that this means because this is a dramatic paradigm shift from what many, if not most of us, have been taught in, in our experience with church. That word confess we've taught said, if you shall confess with your mouth. That word confess, one meaning of it means to acknowledge. Okay? If, if someone says, you know, if, you know, you see the old the movies where they get someone in, they put them in a room, and they put a hot light on them, they start interrogating them, and they do what they say they confess. And what's that, what does that mean? That mean? You know, usually it's they confess to a crime. They, in other words, they admit they did it. Right? And if we're not careful, too many of us, we get that mindset that that's what confess means. It means to admit. And we, and we, and if we read it, and it's been taught this way, and it's affected people's theology and people's perspective of what it means to live for the Lord this way. It's been taught this way. Well, you know, if you will just admit that Jesus is the Lord and He died on the cross for your sins, you'll be saved. But that is not what this verse is saying. It's not this word, confess. You can look it up. Get your, get your Greek dictionary. You can look it up. The first meaning of this word confess means to make a covenant. And I've used this example before that when Pastor Cheyenne and I were dating, when I told her, oh, I love you and I just want to be with you the rest of my life, okay, I was, confess, I was admitting my infatuation and my love with her, right? My love and my complete infatuation with her. When I stood before a preacher and said, before a preacher, before God, and before a congregation, I'm going to be her husband till death do us part. I'm going to be faithful to her. How many of y'all know that I spoke something with my mouth that carried a whole lot more significance than me just telling her how much I loved her and want to spend the rest of my life with her? Why? Because I made a covenant. Right? And so the word's saying here that if you shall make a covenant with your mouth, 
the Lord, what's it say? It says, it says, if you confess, if you make a covenant with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and that word Lord, we've mentioned this before, it means supreme authority. It's not just a title like sir. We're not saying if you admit that Jesus is sir, we're not saying that. If you make a covenant with your mouth that Jesus is the supreme authority in your life and you believe that God's raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Okay? And so you understand this, and we took this a step further. Remember, Jesus was the man, Jesus. He was the Son of Man for 33 years, but who was He for time and eternity before He manifested in the flesh as Jesus? He was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. In the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke it into existence, the spoken word. So you go a step further and you say, if you will make a covenant with your mouth that the word is the supreme authority in your life, then you'll be saved. And this is where people, we've, where we've made a mistake, and, it, and the fault lies at the foot of the church. I've said this for years, that the, as goes the pulpit, so goes the country. When people say, you understand this, when I stand before God, I will have a stricter judgment, according to the Word, I will have a stricter judgment than Joe Blow churchgoer. Because I have stood and I have spoke and I have stood and presented myself as representative of God and what thus saith the Lord. And so my doctrine has got to be sound because I'm going to be giving an account when I stand before God. But it's been taught for years that if you will just admit that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you'll be saved. That is not what the Scripture is saying. The Scripture is saying, and this is the thing, people want Jesus to be Savior. Pastor Cheyenne said this, and we've talked about it before. She said she knows, you know, when she was young that she accepted Jesus as her Savior, but she was 16 before she made Him her Lord, and she and I, we got to talking about this, and you can't do that. Let's look at the word. Look, too many people in the in the in the church, too many people in Christianity want him as Savior, but not Lord. But let's look at the word here. Look at this word. And the Lord just showed me this this morning. It says, "If you will confess with your mouth, if you will make a covenant with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved." Being saved is something that a Savior does. But you notice that being made Lord, declaring Him Lord, covenanting with your mouth that He is Lord, precedes Him being Savior. In other words, just make it plain, Pastor, He cannot be Savior if He's not your Lord. And it, church houses are full of deceived people this morning. And you understand this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to try to say this without breaking down and just weeping. I have probably buried relatives that I thought were born again that are in hell right now because they never made Jesus Lord. Oh, you could ask them who was Jesus and they'd say He was the Son of God and He died on the cross. But they never made Him Lord. Some people say, well, now, Pastor, I just believe if you believe he, that He was God's Son and He died on the cross for your sins, that you'll be saved. Guess what? The Bible says over in James that you say you believe in God. He said, great, the demons believe that and they tremble. If all a person has is faith that Jesus was God's Son and He died on the cross, congratulations, we have the same level of faith that the devil has. And it's not doing him any good. And you say, Pastor, this sounds hard. You understand, we, this needs to be te taught to the body of Christ because, listen, if I'm doing something wrong, 
that's going to result in my destruction, the greatest act of love that you can do for me is to pull me aside and say, Brian, you, you know, this is going to kill you. How many of you, if you had a child that was hooked on drugs and you could see their life spiraling out of control, they were losing their job, they were losing their marriage, they were just losing weight because they didn't want to eat, they just wanted to get high, they just wanted to take, get the next fix, you, love would compel you to get that child and pull them to the side and say, baby, I love you. Don't you see that what you're doing is self-destructive? It's not going to get you the results you want. And so that's why we need to teach that this needs to be taught to the church that Jesus, He has to be Lord before you can have Him as Savior. And what, so what does it mean that He's Lord? Well, Lord means, we've talked this before, Lord means supreme authority, but the word Lord, it speaks to ownership. Ownership. We don't like to think about this in, in our Western, in, in, in our culture, especially in America, because let's be honest, there was a stage in American history where slavery was in the United States, amen, and lots of slaves were, mis, were mistreated. But you understand this, we cannot interpret biblical, when you start interpreting the Bible based on your experience, it's going to mess up your theology. Okay, Our experience in our country has been that slavery was a blight in this country and it was an offense and people were mistreated and people were abused under slavery. Okay, But you understand God's concept of slavery is I own you. Let's look at some Scripture real quick. Amen? Let me see real quick. Let's, um, praise God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, over in... Peter, over in Peter, I'm just going to, I'm just going to mention this to you, amen? Uh, Peter 1.8. Well, for, turn, to first, turn to 1 Corinthians first. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go there first. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? We're going to talk about some stuff this morning. Holy Spirit, help me get there. Amen. Glory to God. I'm going to speak the Word, and we're going to believe God to get it out. For you were bought, verse 20, for you were bought with, at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay? It belongs to God. You understand this? If you buy something, there's another word in the Bible that, that we talk about a lot, and it's not a religious term. You realize, let me tell you something. This, this will help you a lot. God, none of the words in the Bible are religious terms. People have made them religious. God did not create a new language, a new vernacular to speak to people in. Everything in the Bible that God spoke, He spoke and it was common vernacular to these people. And it was because if He's going to speak to you, He's got to speak to you in terms that you understand, right? Okay? Uh, you know, but another term for buy is to redeem something. Okay, Redemption is not a, a religious word. The word redeem literally means that a ransom price was paid for something. Amen. 1 Peter 1.18 says that, that we are supposed to know that we were not redeemed by corruptible things such as gold and silver. Amen. But you were redeemed. You were, and let's put it this way, you were bought... Amen. Knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by your tradition of your fathers. Amen. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So you were bought. Now, 
Let me ask y'all something. How many of y'all would go out and purchase a piece of property, amen, especially here in Lowndes County, where they think that it's Atlanta metro area, not South Georgia on some of the property prices per acre. But how many of y'all are going to go out and buy a piece of property and then let someone just, you know, come in and squat on it and do what they want to? You know, y'all, did y'all have squatters in here? Y'all know what I'm saying? I want to make sure I'm not saying something that's West Virginia lingo that y'all don't understand, right? Squatters, right? You know, someone move in on your property. I remember when I grew up, you know, I grew up in rural West Virginia. There was a person they owned, you know, a couple hundred acres out in the country and somebody moved in on the backside of it and, and built them a house on someone's property that wasn't even accessible from the road. You had to hike in to get to it. And they lived there so many years they were able to claim squatter's rights on it. Because the owner didn't go out and walk all 200 acres or 300 acres, whatever they owned. But how many of y'all know if you bought property and you've spent your money and you've invested, okay, let's say you're into investment real estate. How many of you ever saw that show, that show Flip That House? You know, where someone go in and they buy a dilapidated piece of property and they take it and they'll gut it and they'll remodel it and then they put it on. How many of y'all would go buy a piece of property and then take that piece of property and allow someone, to your knowledge, move in on it and do what they want to do with it? You know, they want to move in, you know, say they want to start growing marijuana on it. That's a big thing in West Virginia. People sneak in on your property because, you, you know, even if you owned as little as 10 acres of hillside, you maybe didn't get out and walk all 10 of your acres and somebody go out and plant their pot on your property. Put booby traps on it. Put fish hooks hanging out of tree limbs and shotguns with the triggers wired down on you. So if you got in their pot patch, you'd get shot. Okay? Nobody's going to buy a piece of property that you own and knowingly let someone come in and squat on it and do what they want to. Amen? You're not going to let them squat on it figuratively or literally, right? Amen? You're not going to let someone come in. You understand this, that God... God, you are God's purchased property. If He is Lord, when we talk about that, if you will make a covenant with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, supreme authority, He is owner. He owns me. You realize, we we bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord, but really, He owns it all. He lets us keep a portion of it. And, and man, I'm going to tell you what, you get a hold of it. Mm, help me, Lord. God, I could, man, I know y'all can't take it, but I could, I could teach for two hours on this. I am so jacked up and so full of it. I'm telling you, I mean, full of the Word that I could give you on this. Because I'm going to tell you what, this is one of the most liberating things. Talking about God being owner. Now, understand this. Owner has the right of say over the property, right? We are God's purchased possession. Now, we don't like to think about this in America. We don't like to think, we associate freedom with this. And, and y'all, you know, nod, give me some feedback. Let me know. We asso- typical, the typical American associates freedom with this. I can choose to do what I want to when I want to, or to not do what I want to whenever I want to. I can go where I want to when I want to, and can't nobody tell me what to do. And we think it's all real nice and good until it's coming from your 15-year-old kid's mouth, right? Amen? Okay? Let me ask you, and so this concept of there being a Lord that owns you, and He tells you what to do. You understand this? It broke my heart. I heard heard someone uh, uh, preaching, you know, called it preaching the other day. It was talking about, oh, we're coming to church so that we can help discover, you know, that, that we can, I'm trying to remember exactly how it was worded, how we can find out who all that we want to be, who we want to be, who we want to be, who we want to be, kept coming up in His teaching. And it was a friend of mine. It broke my heart. 
And I thought, that you realize that is so narcissistic. Some of you are like, what's narcissistic? Self-centered. But that has been propagated. That's another false doctrine that's going through the church. Okay, because you understand this. What you want to do is irrelevant if He's your Lord. Because He tells you. I've said this before. You know, you've heard people talk. I remember when I played football, you know, and I, you know we'd talk trash with people. You know, you'd be in the weight room, be on the football field talking trash with people. You know, they'd say something and say, man, if I want your opinion, I'd give it to you. You know, you tra- and, you, and you trash talking somebody. But you realize that God really, that's how God is. Say, oh, Pastor, I don't believe that. Really, Jesus, our Lord, Jesus said, I only speak the things the Father says. I only do the things the Father says. Remember that story in the Bible uh, where Jesus went to the uh, pool of Bethesda and, and all these sick people were laying around it and the one man's lame and Jesus goes and he heals. And some people go, well, why didn't, why didn't he just heal everybody that was there? Because the Father didn't tell him to. Oh, but they had a need. God was moved by need one time. And that's when Jesus went to the cross. The rest of the time, God's moved by faith. Man had a need, and God answered that need one time when Jesus hung on the cross. The rest of the time, he's... But this is the thing. So if Jesus is our example, and He didn't, he didn't speak anything He wanted to, he, Jesus didn't say, I got freedom of speech. Jesus didn't say, I got the freedom to do whatever. Jesus said, I only speak what the Father says. Now, like I said, I know this cuts crossways to a lot of our democratic thinking Let's understand this, though. You realize that every decision you make in your life, that influence only comes from one of two places. Boy, that cuts it right down the middle, makes it real, real, real obvious, don't it? Every decision we make, the influence only comes from one or two areas. It either comes from God and the kingdom of heaven, or it comes from the world, and we all know who the, who the ruler of the world is. Amen? Amen? And so every decision we make is influenced by one of two areas. You know, this thing, this illusion of I'm free, 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 I can do what I want. Go out on the interstate and drive 150 miles an hour and pass a Georgia State Trooper and see how free you are. You're not free. Freedom does not mean you're free to do whatever you want. I'm going to say this, this concept of lordship that we're owned. Like I said, it, it sounds so restrictive to us as, uh, as Americans. Oh, what do you mean I can't do what I want to do? Huh? We get a little bowed up, don't we? Hmm? What do you mean I can't do what I want to do? You're not your own. We read, we read that. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body doesn't belong to you. And you understand this. When do most, most people, you talk to most people, most adults, and you ask them, what was the most free, uh, carefree, trouble-free, just you felt complete freedom time in your life? When you didn't have a care in the world, you didn't have a worry in the world, nothing, you know, what, when was it? Your childhood, why? You didn't make any. You didn't make any decisions. Are we starting to see this? Because the devil's lied to us and said, if you make Jesus Lord, then you can't do anything you want to. You got to do what he says, and you just want, you just need to bow up on that because that's not right. But if we really think about it, the time that everybody, there, I, I would, I, I would bet if I talked to everybody in this room one on one and I said, you know, what was it you liked about your childhood? That we could all reminisce and go back to our childhood and think about pleasant thoughts of childhood when you didn't have the pressures of having to make major you didn't have to make the major decisions in your life. Why? Because mom and dad told you, you know, you're going to go to school today. We're going to go to church today. I used to tell people I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I had a horrible drug problem when I was a kid. Every time the church doors were open, my parents drugged me to church. Amen? And I, and I guess I turned out all right. I guess that's a matter of opinion. But you understand, is that when you were a child... 
You had liberty. How many of us would love just to have the complete liberty and carefree living right now that we did when we were kids? Huh? Didn't have a care in the world. Didn't have to work. You know, when you were a kid, you didn't wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, man, I can't sleep. How are we going to be able to make the mortgage payment? You didn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't skip meals because your stomach was so upset. Going, man, I just don't know, you know, I just don't know if Daddy's business is going to make it or not. Huh? You, did, you didn't have a care, huh? And you understand this, you, but you weren't your own boss, mom and dad. So you understand this is another one of those things that's not a foreign concept to us. We enjoyed it for a short, brief period in our life. Most of us, kingdom, you know, whosoever enters into the kingdom of heaven must enter in like a what? A child. And so if we realize that if we've been, for the most part, we've bought a lie of the devil, and most of the people in the church have bought the lie of the devil. Man, if you make Jesus Lord, if you make God the Lord, you let Him be the Lord and you let Him be the boss, man, you're going to lose your freedom. No, the truth is, you make Him Lord and you make Him boss, and you only speak what He says and you only do what He says, it is the most liberating thing that you'll ever have. Because, does this sound familiar? Take no care for what you shall wear or what you'll eat. Huh? Don't be concerned about that. Don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Doesn't God feed the birds? Does, you know, does, what about you know? Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Doesn't God clothe the fields with lilies? And aren't you worth a whole lot more than you know, the, the fields? So this concept, we've got to repent, change the way we think about this whole concept of Jesus being Lord because it is the most liberating thing. Because I said this, I prayed with a young lady um, Friday in the hospital. She, uh, she came over uh, just for a routine from Coffee County. Uh, Pastor Shine, I know her. She was in our children's ministry years ago over in Coffee County. That she came over. She came over just for having a spinal tap to have a test done. She was having some symptoms in her body. They did a spinal tap. Something happened. The, a nerve got pinched. There was some kind of swelling or something like that. And where she couldn't even stand up and walk, it was so drastic. And you know, and, and I began to, and I began to pray with her, and, and I began to share with her. I said, you know, I said, look. You know, first thing we need to do, we need to restore some fellowship. You know, she had, she had let her fellowship uh, with the Lord stray. Amen. And and I'm going to teach this sometime. You understand, if we talk about the authority of the believer, you realize, I'll just give you this little tidbit. This will be a little teaser for you for when you hear this sermon come along. Is that authority, you know, if we can all jump and shout, Woo, authority of the believer, I can speak to this, I can speak to that, I can command this to happen. You realize authority is, is directly related to relationship. If you have no relationship, you have no authority. That's why people are speaking to their finances. I command finances to come in in the name of Jesus. Devil, take your hands off my money. Angels, go cause my money to come in. But they're not tithing. And so you've broken a relationship and you don't have authority to speak of that because your relationship with God in the area is broke. You only have authority based on... You, you realize this, you don't have any authority unless it comes from God. And if, you don't, and if you've broken your relationship with God, let something break your relationship with God, then you don't have any authority. Amen? Okay, back to what I was saying. Anyway, ministered to her. I said, you understand. I told her, I said, first thing you need to do, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins to God. Pray and ask Him to forgive you, and He will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Okay? He'll forgive you. I said, then this is the thing. I said, you can go to Him in faith when you change your mind. You understand this? Repent. It really means change the way you think, but when you change the way you think, it changes the way you act. Because thought precedes action. We've taught you that before, right? And so I told her, I said, when you repent and you ask God to forgive you, he, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I said, and when you confess and you, and you reaffirm that covenant with Him that He is Lord and your actions are coming in line with it, I said, then this is the thing. 
If you, if you own something, I, I said, if he owns you, if he's Lord and he owns you, he's responsible for the maintenance. How many of y'all have ever rented before or renting property now? Okay? And something tears up with the, something goes wrong with the property? You know, unless you have a lease like our lease here on this building is, you know, uh, first thousand dollars of, of major maintenance to like plumbing and air conditioning and heating. That's our responsibility. But I mean, if you're renting an apartment or you're renting a piece of property or you've ever rented before in your life, um, you know, the owner, who is called what? Landlord. The landowner, the landlord, the Lord, the supreme authority over that property because you can't go in and do what you want without their approval. You can't just go in and go, you know what, I think I need to tear that wall down. We need to change that color over there. and We need to open up and put some more. You can't do that. You can try to, but you're going to get in trouble and you're probably going to go stand before a man with a black robe on and it's going to be going, you know, judgment in, in, in favor of the plaintiff. Okay, so the, the landlord, if something tears up, okay, say, say they've, got a full main, they've got the full maintenance of the property. Something tears up. What are you going to do? Hey, yo, man, it's 90 degrees outside. My AC ain't working. You need, come, you, you need to fix it. Right? Hey, my toilet won't flush. I need you to come fix my toilet. Why? Why are you calling him instead of you doing something about it? Why? Because you understand, if you're abiding by the terms of your lease then the landlord, the owner, the supreme authority of that property, he is responsible for the maintenance of it. And so you understand this, if we are in right standing with God and we're, and we're keeping our end of the, of, of the deal, we're, in other words, we're walking in righteousness before God, you, know, you have the authority to speak to your, you, know, you don't even have to pray about it. Your finances, you don't, if you are a tither and you're a giver and you have a financial need, you don't even have to pray about, oh God, you have authority over it and you can just speak to it and command it to come in. Why? Because you've already got God's Word on it. You've already got the Word of the Lord on it. Okay? Now understand this, and, I, and I'm not going to get any place near what I want to tonight, but you need to come back tonight because Pastor Cheyenne is going to be teaching and she's going to be teaching on this too. Amen? Amen? Okay? Understand this back to when I said investment realtor. Okay, God is an investment realtor. He's looking for property that is that he can purchase, that he knows that he's going to get a return on it. Now, going back a little bit, we were talking about kingdom. Every kingdom has an economy. Okay, how many of y'all know that there's been a real popular, you know, there's a real popular slogan among uh, conservative uh, political people of uh, conservative political persuasion in this country? You know, drill here, drill now. How many of you know every government, every kingdom needs to have energy resources? Have we heard a lot about that lately? Oh, we need to have energy resources. The global economy is expanding. There's emerging economies. In India is an emerging economy. China is an emerging economy. You've got two countries, both of them. Do you understand this? There's, over, there's just over 6 billion people on the face of the planet. I'm still wondering how they get everybody to stand still long enough to get a count. Because I can't count the 50 of people are moving. But somehow or another, we know there's approximately 6 billion people on the planet. Okay? You realize China, India, okay, one-third of the world population lives in those two countries. One billion people in China, and about five years ago, India broke the one billion person barrier. One-third of the world's population lives in those two countries, and those two countries are emerging economies. And this is the thing, when you're, in an, when you're in a government and when you're in an economy, economies are driven by resources. 
Okay? Driven by the, cons- uh, the, there's the consumption of resources. And so there's competition. It's funny to me that we can't, that America cannot drill off the coast of Florida in the Gulf to get oil, but China's drilling there. Okay? But why? What's the significance? The significance is, is that kingdoms and governments, their economy demands resources, valuable resources for their economy to, to operate. Right? Are you all with me? This, I'm not talking anything foreign. This is stuff you can hear on Fox News and CNN every day. Okay? And so governments, in order for their economy to operate, they need access to resources. And so this popular slogan come around here lately because you know wanting to tap America's resources saying, drill here, drill now. Drill, how many of y'all heard that? Drill here, drill now. We got resources, we got oil in Wyoming, drill it, baby. Drill, baby, drill. Drill here, drill now. Okay? We got resources off the coast of the United States. Instead of letting, you know, a foreign country control our economy and our destiny by uh, uh, controlling our access to resources, vital resources, let's drill here, let's drill now. Let's tap our own resources. Well, how many of y'all know that God wants to drill here and drill now? On His property. On what he owns. What are you talking about, Pastor? I said earlier, the most precious resource on the face of the planet are people. You realize that Jesus didn't die on the cross to save the planet. He died on the cross to save the world. There's a difference between the world and the planet. The, pla- the, the world are the pe- is the people that lives on the planet. On this third rock from the sun. And isn't it funny, this is just a little side note, isn't it funny that the people in the world that are the most adamant about saving the planet couldn't, most of them, 99 out of 100% of the times, the people that are the biggest tree huggers and the people that are all about, that they can stand on the beach and cry about saving the whales and we've got to save the planet. And they want to go run off and join ELF, the Earth Liberation Front. Y'all think I'm making this up. There's a group called ELF, the Earth Liberation Front that burns down subdivisions where people expand their houses into the country, which is really weird to me. You want to save the planet, but you're dumping a whole bunch of pollution in the air by burning the house down. Go figure. Okay? But it's funny that the people that are most determined to save the planet care the least about the people. Oh, how you can say it, Pastor? Because they're, 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 they're usually the biggest pro-abortion people that you can find. They don't care anything about human life. They can cry over a baby whale getting clubbed in the head, and they can cry over a whale getting... Uh, uh, killed, but they don't have any emotion. They have no concern whatsoever for an unborn child being murdered in their mother's womb. Amen. Okay? But you understand that, that God, I mean, I digress, but God, God, He's, an inve- he's into investment real estate, and God, in, in the kingdom of heaven, God wants access to resources. And you need to understand this, is that the resources are in you. Now, this is, uh, this is a little bit of a review of some of the stuff that Pastor Earl uh, was talking about over the weekend. You understand that in property, when you buy property, you know, how many of y'all know you can't take for granted when you buy a piece of property that you've got the mineral rights to it? Because someone, an owner, ten people back could have sold the mineral rights, and when you buy a piece of property, you might just be getting the dirt on the ter- top of the ground. And there is, a, there is a way to purchase something, I believe it's called fee simple or something like that in real estate terms, I believe that was the term, that when you buy something fee simple, that it means you get the mineral rights, the ground on the surface, and control of the air over the property. Okay? But you realize this, my grandfather um, in West Virginia, he, uh, he sold some rights to his pro- some of the property that he owned 
to the gas company, the Mountaineer Gas, when it was Mountaineer Gas. I don't even know if Mountaineer Gas Company it may have been bought out by now. But it was for perpetuity that they wanted to run a gas line through his property. And so he sold certain rights to his property to this company. Uh, and this is what he sold it to him for, that he could have three gas taps installed in the line as it went through his property and that his, uh, that his descendants for perpetuity could have access to those gas tap, natural gas taps at cost. In other words, it didn't get marked up, whatever the company's cost. Made. And so everybody in my family, they all tapped in. You know, if we had that one time, they had four houses. One, one, they, my, my mother and father and my aunt and uncle, they shared one tap and they just split the bill each month. But they had access to natural gas at cost. Well, you understand this, that when you buy a piece of property, that if it's possible, you'd like to get the mineral rights to it. I remember one thing my mom and dad used to say all the time, man, if you buy a property, make sure you get the mineral rights because this thing, you don't want to buy the property and then they discover natural gas under or they find a, a coal vein underneath your property and they buy the adjacent property and mine underneath your property and dig out all the coal and then you've got a potential big sinkhole right on your property because they've crawled and they've burrowed, burrowed under your property and dug out the coal. If you don't have the coal rights, the, the mineral rights to it. How many of y'all know that when God, we're talking about God bought us, you've been bought with a price, you're not your own. You've been redeemed, bought with the blood of Jesus. That when God bought you, God wants mineral rights. God wants mineral rights. Why? Because God knows the most valuable thing on the face of the planet is you. Some people have a hard time you know, getting that. Do you know that God loves you just as much as He loved Jesus? Don't take my word for it. Jesus said that. Jesus said that over in John's Gospel when he was ta- when he was talking to his disciples. He said, "God, he said, Father, I pray that you'll show them that you love them just as much as you love me." Okay. Let me get, let me make it a little bit simpler. I've used this example before with kids too. But how many of you all know that? Okay, we're not supposed to love money. All right, the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, but how many of us have an appreciation for the value of money? Okay, how many? You know, I've said this before. You're not going to go to the grocery store and pay a hundred dollars for a Snicker, Snickers bar. Why? Because you appreciate. Because if if you work, you have an appreciation for the value, and you know that dollar, that hundred dollar bill. You know, and it doesn't matter. You know, if you're wealthy or if you're poor. Okay, that hundred dollar bill represents a portion of your time that you invested to obtain that money. And so you have an appreciation for it and you're not going to take that $100 bill and spend it on something that's only worth 50 cents. Right? But why? Because you have an appreciation of the value of that money. If God, what God bought us, He paid for us, He redeemed us. Okay, let me finish out this example. You don't have a problem, you know, you have an issue with spending $100 on something that you, that you only esteem its value worth 50 cents. But, if there's something that you see as a bar, that you think is a bargain, you say, someone says, I have something I want to sell. Okay, say, Eddie will like this example. Say somebody has, um, has an antique rifle. You know, maybe a World War II era rifle that is in mint condition. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a French military rifle. You know, I, I saw an ad one time that said French, French military rifle, World War II era French military rifle, never been shot, dropped one time. Some of y'all get that. 
French folded, French folded under Hitler, you know, folded under the Germans. They retreated, you know, never been fired, dropped once. Okay. But someone who has an appreciation for the value of money and they sees that gun and they want $100 for it and they's like, man, I mean, a collector would pay big money for that. I mean, a war, so, uh, what, particularly what, probably the Russian Mausers are probably one of the most coveted World War II era guns that you get. And if you could find one that was brand new, say they just dug a stash of them up, they were, doing, they were bulldozing in Berlin. And they tore into a bunker and found it brand new. And, 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 and that, what's the packing grease they put them in? They, they packed the guns in grease. You know, they pack them in grease so that no air or moisture or anything can get to them. They find a stash of them, say, man, these are brand new, never been fired, just right out of the, the I think it's called kaolin, kaolin or something like that. The grease that they pack, those, and it is in mint condition, and, and I'll let you have it for a hundred bucks. Man, I guarantee you, Eddie'd be going for the wallet, you know. He'd probably pull a hole in the back of his pants getting his wallet out so quick, right? Why? Because he looks at that, and he knows the value of it. And he know, and he doesn't have a problem paying $100. The same person would have a trouble paying $100 for a candy bar that's only worth less than 50 cents, really. The same person that wouldn't do that, they won't hesitate to pay $100 for something that they have absolute 100% certainty that it's worth that, if not, if not more, right? Because that's what we call a bargain. If you pay 100 for something and you find out later it's worth 2 it's a bargain. My mom's husband gave me, a, uh, gave me a pocket knife one time. Just gave it to me. Somebody gave it to him, and he don't carry pocket knives. And he gave it to me. And, and when, I saw, uh, you know, when I saw it, I was at his house, and I just saw it laying over on a bookshelf or something. And I picked it up and said, that's, that's a pretty nice-looking knife, Dennis. And I said, where'd you get that? He said, oh, such and such gave it to me. He said, you can have it if you want to. I said, well, no. I said, I said I've got lots of money. He knows I collect pocket knives. I said, I said well, I said, yeah, I appreciate it. But you know, said, this is a pretty nice knife. It was a Hubertus. It was a German brand. It's made in Solingen, Germany. Those are nice knives. Anything you get from Solingen, Germany, any pocket knife, that's a good knife. And I, I said, well, you know, you don't have to give it to me. Well, he went ahead and gave it to me. I went online and looked it up, this particular model of Hubertus, stag-handled Hubertus pocket knife that he gave me, and the cheapest one I found online new was $147. Okay? So you understand that, that, I, that you know, I didn't know the exact value, but I knew it was something good. What, what are you saying, Pastor? Well, what I'm saying is, is, is a per, and so that's a bargain, right? If you buy something for $100 and then find out later, man, somebody's been looking for one for years, for you know, months, and the cheapest they could find it was $175, and you found out you bought a brand new one for 100 what do we feel like we got? A bargain. Why? Because we got something that when we bought it, the value of it exceeded what we paid for it. I'm going someplace, tonight, and then I'm going to end with this, and Pastor Cheyenne's going to absolutely tear this up tonight. Okay? God would not, just as you would not pay $100 for something you didn't think was worth 100 God's not going to do that either. God's not stupid. Can we all just assume that God's at least as smart as we are? <laughs> Hello? Okay? So, why would God pay the blood of Jesus? Why would God pay Jesus for you and you and you if God didn't think He was getting a bargain? Why? Because God as the ultimate real estate investor you know, this is the thing. I don't know if you've, if you've ever met anybody. You know, I'm sure maybe, you know, Brother Eddie, Brother Jimmy, Brother Van in their business, they've probably met people who were developers 
You know, if you've ever met anybody that was a property developer, man, they can go out and they can look at a swamp and go, man, I see a housing development. And we can pump that thing dry, bring in a couple thousand truckloads of fill dirt. And, and it's nothing to them. You're thinking, glory to God, a couple thousand truckloads of fill dirt. But why? Because an investment, someone that's been in it for a while and is good at it, they see its potential. They go, mmm, man, we can take this. Man, this guy, he don't even know what he's got. This location's great. All we need to do is just move some of this stuff out, do a little bit of work here, and straighten this up. And it's, man, it's going to be worth it. Its value is tremendously past this. Okay? Much more than this. Okay, God sees that, but you all understand that all of that still, that's surface stuff. I'm getting ready to wrap this thing up. I remember hearing a few years ago, before Pastor Cheyenne and I moved back to Huntington when we were still living over in Coffee County, I heard on uh, the news one day that over near the Okefenokee Swamp, if I'm recalling right, near the Okefenokee Swamp, that they had discovered a huge deposit of titanium. Now, any of you who know anything about minerals and ti- know anything about titanium, titanium is, if, if I'm not, if, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, not wrong, uh, not right, Brother Eddie probably would know this because he works in construction trade. It's as light as aluminum, pretty close to the weight of aluminum, but its strength is almost like the strength of steel, right? When it's refined and it's processed, it is very, very strong, a lot stronger than aluminum. And it's not cheap, is it? You know, it's real popular now. One of the things real popular now is people. I've, I've even seen people, my, my cousin, her, her, she and her husband, their wedding bands, and Dave's wedding band is made out of titanium. It's light, it's strong, it's durable, but it's valuable. Okay? God does, does not even see surface stuff. Because you realize this. How much you weigh, what you look like, how much hair you have, how much hair you don't have, the clothes you wear, the clothes, you know, Clothes that you can't afford to wear, almost the clothes you don't wear, but I ain't gonna say that because you're running, okay? <laughs> all that surface stuff. And how many of y'all know you can go into a property and you can do some yard work? You know, you can go into an overgrown property and you can you can mow, you can weed eat, you can do some edging and trim some stuff and make it look nice. But y'all understand that's all cosmetic, right? God sees the deep stuff that's buried in, in, in the mineral rights. Here's the problem, though, with too many believers, is that we have said, Jesus, you're Lord, but all we want to give Him is the, is the grass and the dirt on top of the surface, and we don't want to let Him have access to the deep things. Because you understand this, you go to extracting titanium, you're going to mess some stuff up. You go to extracting oil, you're probably not going to have a real pretty, nice, green, lush yard around it. Too many of us, we focus on the surface stuff when God's interested in the deep stuff that He knows is in you. I'm going to say this, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this. Understand this, talking about God having access um, to your mineral rights. You understand this, if you own property and they discover oil on your property, hallelujah, how many of y'all remember Beverly Hillbillies? You know, you know, let me tell you a little story about a man named Jed. Poor West Virginian. No, that's what we say. Amen. Poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Right? Okay, you understand this? And what was the gist of the story? Man, old Jed, he had it made. Right? Because he discovered oil on his property. Okay, understand this. God is interested in your resources. Understand this. Now, Jed, in that story, Jed owned the property. 
What we're talking about is God owns you. God owns you. He wants your mineral rights. But understand this. Even if a corporation, and oh man, all them greedy corporations, them greedy business owners and those greedy corporations that are just exploiting people, right? Okay, I know there's exploitation. I'm not ignorant of that. But it seems to me like that um, corporations make jobs and businesses hire people. Okay? Understand this. If, you, if, if someone owns property and if they find oil on it, and they attempt to extract that oil, you understand this, that there's more than just the people that own that oil that benefit from tapping that resource. I'm going to tell you this, three things real quick. The owner reaps the benefit of the resources. If you own the property, you're extracting the resources from it. The owner makes a profit, right? I mean... This is the thing. Let's break it down to agriculture since that is the number one industry in the state of Georgia. Brother Van, uh, you know, he works in the cotton industry. If someone, the farmer that owns the field, when that cotton is extracted from it, he gets a benefit, right? If you don't, you don't do it very long, right? Amen? <laughs> so the owner benefits from the resource. Well, guess what? There's people that work at a gin that they make their living processing and handling the handling and the and the distribution and the sale of that cotton to buyers so you have the owner gets the benefit of the resources the workers for the company extracting the resources benefit from the employment my point is that if god owns you and god desperately god wants to drill here drill now baby God wants access to your mineral resources. God wants, He wants to be able to drill and to tap and to get into what you got. Why? Because He's bought you, He owns you, and He knows there is a profit to be made, a benefit to be made from extracting the benefits. And, and this is where Pastor Shane's going to get to it. Your benefits are your gifts, your talents, the anointing. Is the anointing, it seems to me like there's something in the Word that there's a type and shadow of something that represents the anointing. And we're talking about oil, right? And I understand we're talking about olive oil, but you understand that? There's a, there's a gift, there's a talent, there's an anointing that God's placed in you. And God knows if I could just get them to let me have mineral rights, because I own them anyway, but if I can get them to let me have mineral rights to tap and to drill and to have access to those resources, I can reap the benefits of it. But guess what? You work for Him. Amen. What's the word say? That God takes pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Amen. You allow Him to have access to what's in you, your min the mineral resources in you. God's going to reap the benefit. You're going to reap the benefit just as an employee of a company that's extracting those rights reaps the benefits of employment. And then the third person that benefits from it is the consumer of the resources. Who's that? That's the world. That's the world. Because this is the thing. The owner extracts the oil. He gets a profit off of it. The employees that work for the company that are extracting the oil, they earn their living by it. That resource is refined and processed and distributed and consumers go out and they get it and they pump it in their car and they get to go, go, go all over the place wherever they want to. And the economy of the, of the government is stimulated by that. And so if we're talking about the economy of the kingdom of heaven. If we can let God have access to your mineral resources, if you'll let God have you know, access to those 
and extract it out of you because He's your Lord and He owns you. And you can try to do your own thing without consulting the owner and have limited success. But if you'll consult the owner, the Lord, and find out, God, I'm giving you free access. Mineral rights are yours. Dig it out of me. Pull it out of me because it's going to benefit you. I'm going to benefit and the world's going to benefit from it. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we need to repent. We need to change our mind. The most liberating thought that you can have, the most liberating uh, perspective that we can have is that He's Lord. Yeah? And that means I don't have to make the hard decisions. As a matter of fact, I don't even have the right to make the decisions what I do. Because remember back at the beginning of the sermon, the resources of the forest and everything in it, it belongs to the king. If he's the Lord, he's got to say so. And that makes it easy for us. Why? Man, I'm telling you all, I could just... His yoke's easy and his burden's light. If your life and your experience as a believer is not easy and not light, you might be pulling the wrong wagon. Selah. Pause and think about that. His yoke's easy and his burden's light. If your yoke is hard and heavy, you might be hitched to the wrong wagon. It might be time to ask the Lord, Where do you, what, what wagon am I supposed to be hitched to, Jesus? What, what, Father, what wagon am I supposed to be hitched to? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name.